Thank you for joining us for uh, this very special episode of uh, My Talk 1071 Roundtable. We are talking about the suicide epidemic, and there's a couple reasons why you are hearing this conversation on the radio station that you know for entertainment news. Um, we are having uh, the second hour of this two-hour discussion, uh, and we do have an expert on hand with us uh, who has a personal experience that we're going to touch on. But but this all this all sort of uh, came to light for us. This conversation felt necessary after we've had a, a number of different celebrities who have died by suicide in the last couple months. Most notably last week, we talked specifically about Kate Spade, who many people know from her handbag designs, uh, and she achieved much success doing that. And also uh, the the uh, the death of Anthony Bourdain, who is a was a um, chef, was a TV personality, was an author who was also a very successful person in his field. And we recognized from those conversations that it was necessary to talk about suicide. Specifically, these two people that we talked about last week seemed to have it all. They had fame. They had fortune. They had all the things that many people are vying for in life. And yet, a pain so deep that they felt that this was the only answer for them. And so that's why we began this conversation at the same time, the center for disease control uh, released a report on suicide. And we recognize that these numbers are climbing in such alarming ways. And Bradley, you had poured over some of those statistics. Um, if you want to share uh, um, a couple notable ones, you know, I, I will say in, uh, uh, we talked uh, about a number of them in the last segment, and um, I can certainly go over some of those um, again. Uh, the, there's a New York Times piece that kind of lays out a lot of what the CDC said, and they you know, refer to it as a public health crisis, which, again, is part of the reason we're talking about it. And it's so broad. It, it affects such a broad swath. I mean, it, we were talking uh, off air about how much reaction we're getting from our listeners in a way that perhaps we don't on some of our other roundtable discussions. And I think it's truly because um, suicide affects a large number of people and certainly the things that can potentially lead to suicide, like depression and anxiety and mental illness. Um, everybody has an, ex- an experience with that. Um, we've seen a 25% increase in suicide rates in the United States since 1999. And that's 40.9%, almost 40.6% in Minnesota alone. So a much higher rate than the national average in Minnesota. And uh, one of the people who's helped us understand that um, is Lindsay. And Lindsay, we talked to you a lot in the the last hour because you're a, a, a suicide prevention advocate and she gave us very specific advice. I think we were going to maybe take an opportunity to find out um, what else Lindsay can bring to this conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Lindsay, um, there is a very specific reason why you found yourself uh, as a suicide prevention advocate for AFSP. Can you share a little bit of your story with us? Yeah, of course. I became involved with AFSP in 2012 after the death of my brother, Logan. Um, He was 22 years old and really your typical 22-year-old. There's a lot of risk factors and... um, you know, demographics and things you can identify with suicide or that I previously would have thought of that go with suicide, um, he wouldn't necessarily match. He wasn't like a loner. He didn't do drugs. We had an 
awesome childhood. Um, so there wasn't like a cause why you could say this happened. Um, but he had depression. He was a regular guy with a lot of friends and just an awesome kid who had depression. Um, so when he died, one of his friends um, that he had actually met in a support group um, inside of her, her card from his funeral, she said, I'm going to be doing this walk in September for your brother. And that was how I found out about the Out of the Darkness walks. And so um, being just kind of a, a doer, I hopped on that bandwagon. And um, I had never heard of this walk before. You know, you, you hear about the breast cancer walk and you hear about the colon cancer walk. But I never heard about a suicide prevention walk. And so I kind of just ran with it and emailed the the people and said, you know, what can I do? I want to help. I've never heard about this. What what are we going to do to make everybody know about yeah. this? Um, and so I've been involved ever since then and kind of kind of just went from there. And it's been a really um, kind of cathartic um, outlet for me and for my family to be involved because um, if anything we can do, and I know that anyone who's involved with AFSP feels this way, if we can do anything to save one person, then it's all worth it. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you have. Um, I'm sure that you have saved um one person and we want more right yes because all of them as yeah because as we've as we've you know been talking about these numbers are alarming um and you didn't even know that there was a walk you know so this is this definitely is something we should we should uh be talking about and that's why we have invited you here today and thank you thank for you. sharing can i say that um as an advocate so you've now been doing this for how long um, since 2000, my brother died April of 2012. And so I was involved by the walk time, which was in September. So what do you think most people don't realize that you learned over the last uh, six or so years? Or I can't do math. Yeah. Um, that years. you've been involved with AFSP that really helps you better understand the issue of suicide as it affects most people? Um, I think that there's this huge myth out there that suicide is selfish, that the person, how could they do that? How could they hurt their mother like that? How, you know, why don't, aren't they grateful for so much that they have? And I maybe even felt that way before I I really knew what I was talking about, Um, that depression takes over and, and that when someone takes their life, it's because they see that as their only option at that moment, they are doing whatever they can to breathe and to, to end their pain. Well, I was going to say just really quickly, that was a theme that has come up repeatedly over the last couple of weeks with the death of, well, week. It's been, has it been a week? It's been a week and a half now. A week and a half? Yeah. Um, Since the death of Kate Spade and then Anthony Bourdain, they both had small children. And the thing I hear repeatedly is how could they do that to their children? And, um, you know, as you're alluding to, and I think we've thought ourselves or had discussions, you know, off the air sometimes they feel that they're doing the best they can by ending their life for their children or their loved ones. Mm-hmm. And that that's just the, the mental illness, you know, attacking them. You don't say things like that. You don't blame someone when they get cancer and die. Like, of course not. And that's, that's the mental illness that, that has just taken over and taken their life. You know, can you can you address it all, you know, as a survivor, as as a family member of a person um, who took their own life? I imagine that you were the grief is different in the sense that you probably were left with so many questions um, about about that pain and about, you know, 
about why. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure you hear that a lot from people who are survivors. Um, can you talk a little bit about about the grief experience uh, after a suicide? Well, it's it's the worst thing you can ever imagine. Um, there are a lot of questions for a lot of people. Um, and and kind of like I said earlier, you might not ever find a why. Like in yeah. the case of my brother, um, well, in some people's cases, there may have been trauma. There may be a breakup. There may be something like that. But sometimes it's just that they have depression. Um, but not everyone. The other thing, too, that's important to know is that not everyone with a mental illness is going to take their life. Mm-hmm. Um, one in four people have a mental illness at some point in their life. And and they they triumph. They they get the help that they need and they recover and they lead happy lives. It gets better. Like, we can't say that enough. You mm-hmm. might be suffering right now. It might be awful right now, but it will get better. Mm-hmm. I think, too, um, you know, you, you talked about the why. Even if there is a, quote, why as to why somebody commits suicide, that is not the reason the person committed suicide. Because I would imagine that even if there is a trauma or a specific incident that precipitates someone taking their own life, that that could lead to some guilt on the part of people that are left behind if they were some way involved or felt that they could have prevented the death. I think it really is crucial, and and you alluded to it a little bit before, it's the mental illness Mm -hmm. that is leading that person Mm -hmm. down the road, or at least that's the way that I would perceive it. Right. Well, and with the guilt and with the aftermath of a suicide, um, everyone wishes that they had done more. You know, that even, you know, with my brother, we knew he had depression, but like, why didn't we do more? Why, mm-hmm. you know, why wasn't someone sitting with him that that moment? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's it's so heavy. It's hard to ever move on because you can't you don't ever have an answer. Right. Absolutely. Um, you know, I want to I, I, I want to have a conversation about the language we use around suicide, because I know that at least in recent years, I've heard more and more open conversation about the language we use to describe um, suicide. And I'm sure you do a lot of educating about that with AFSP. Can you talk about that at all? Yeah, that's really important um, because the more we talk about suicide, the the more likely people are to get help. And so we have to be really um, smart about how we talk about it. Um, rather than saying someone committed suicide, we usually say they died by suicide or they died as a result of mental illness. Um, cause words like commit make it sound like they committed a crime mm-hmm. or they committed adultery or, mm-hmm. you know, something bad. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is just that we need to talk about it without the stigma, without, um, without it being necessarily a, this the shameful thing mm-hmm. and it shouldn't be a joke either as the other thing you know you hear so oh my gosh if i hear this song one more time i'm gonna kill myself that's not funny <laughs> you know um we need to just be smarten up about things like yeah. that we actually just got uh, i'm not even kidding we just got an email uh that basically said that there was a person who has a friend who uses that as humor often and his concern was is this person, is this something I should take seriously or is the, does this person think it's funny? And how do you have that conversation with somebody um, to say, I, I, I maybe, you know, or I don't, I can't tell if you're joking or if I need to be paying attention to this. Yeah, I guess without, you know, being there and knowing the context of it, it's kind of hard to say, but I would just ask, mm-hmm. you know, and, and maybe 
in most cases, I had a conversation with a coworker once and just told him that's actually not funny, like, and explained why. And mm-hmm. then they, they realized it, you know, yeah. I think there are all kinds of words that we may have previously used thinking that they were funny. Um, and then when you realize it and, and what that word actually means, then you would never say it because you know, you're right. not a jerk. Right. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. And we're compassionate people, right. right? We're supposed to be here helping each other through this journey on earth. Yeah. So I think most often when, when someone does make a joke about suicide, they probably just don't know they're, they're not trying to be cruel. They probably just don't realize it. Well, and as a culture, we've certainly changed when it comes to mental illness and, uh, or are changing when it comes to mental illness and specifically suicide as well, because, um, you know, we did look at it as a, sort of something like people should be shamed for because, mm-hmm. you know, um, it was a judgment. And so, you know, in taking away that judgment, it makes it easier to maybe take away some of the words as well that have that judgment. We are when we come back, I'd like to open up the phone lines wide open. Six five one six four one one oh seven one. If you have any questions, um, that's the number to call. We have um Lindsay Rafson Barringer here with us from AFSP, who uh, is a mental, she's a, or I'm sorry, a mental health advocate, certainly, but also a suicide prevention advocate. And so she has a ton of knowledge just from her work with AFSP. And, uh, and, and we are here, Colleen and Bradley, to help facilitate this discussion about the suicide epidemic. 651-641-1071. We'd love to take your calls after this on this My Talk 1071 roundtable. This is a My Talk 1071 roundtable discussion. We are talking about the suicide epidemic on MyTalk1071.com. We are streaming live also on MyTalk1071.com. And uh, we will have more information about how you can listen to a podcast of this episode uh, later. If you have missed any part of the discussion, it will be available to you on demand. And we will have information about that uh, soon and, and hope that it will be up on the My Talk 1071 Roundtable page. We do have a couple callers uh, that have questions or thoughts that we um, that we will share with our panelist, Lindsay Rafson Berenger. She is a, a suicide prevention advocate. Uh, she works closely with AFSP. She has a ton of resources and a ton of personal experience. And so um, we are here to take your calls at 651-641-1071. Should we just go straight to the phones, Let's you think? It. All right. We've got Angela on the line. Hi, Angela. What did you want to share? Hi. I wanted to let you know that this is a big deal. And it's a, so important to talk about this. So thank you for doing this. Um, a couple weeks ago, I was in the hospital because I had finally told a friend that I couldn't take it anymore, that my anxiety and my depression were so big that I didn't want to be around. And when I was in the hospital, I was sure And I said this to myself several times. I was never going to do this. I was never going to tell anyone. I was never going to go to the hospital and get help on my own. And the reason I was there is because my friend listened. Mm. My friend listened and heard everything that I had to say about how badly I was hurting. And that made all the difference, you guys. All the difference. 
Angela, I'm so glad that you called and shared that experience. And um, I think for I think for many people, and we've talked a little bit about what it's like to be the support person. Um, mm-hmm. I think one of the things that people might be fearful of is that their friend will be mad at them. And God, no. can you share no. how you feel now on the other side of, of, of hospitalization? Well, my friend said, I know you and I love you. And no matter what is going on with you, I'm here. So we are going to stop what we are doing and we are going to have this conversation. Hmm. I don't care if we're stuck in traffic. I don't care if there's a baby crying. I don't care. I mean, literally, this is your life we're talking about here. And I said, I, I don't know why it's so important to you. And honestly, I don't know if that's how Kate or Anthony felt or how anybody feels. But in my experience, I, I don't want to share that. It's hard. And life is hard. Mm-hmm. And how lucky I was to have somebody say, I'm not here to shame you. That was huge. I'm not here to shame you because of the way that you feel. What is that? We, we judge everyone. We judge everything. Mm-hmm. That is impossible to even believe that that's true. You're, you love me enough to tell me that you are going to support me no matter what? Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Like, okay, I'll tell you anything. <laughs> Angela, thank you so much. Thank you, Angela. Thank you for calling and thank you for sharing. I think um, having that voice is, is very, very helpful. Um, another call, shall we? Let's go to Becky. Hi, Becky. Thank you for calling. Are you there, Becky? There you are. I'm here. Okay. What did you want to share? Yes, we can hear you now. I was just actually talking to this with my mother-in-law this morning, um, about how there are times when you have depression or anxiety and you're thinking, you know what? Everyone would be, they'd just be better if I wasn't here. Like, I have a life insurance policy. It would pay off all our debts. Like, everyone would be better. But then I think I have two little kids who I love, and I don't ever want them to go through that. But the grips of depression and addiction, which I know several of your um, colleagues on the show have dealt with, like, it's hard. It's so hard. And people... Not everyone can relate mm-hmm. to what you're going through. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard. Yeah. Like you try to talk to people. You try to um, have someone to support you. Like the previous lady said that her friend really got her there. And that's so good. But, you know, like I was thinking um, with Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdon, like everything that's going on this week, my husband actually just lost two friends to suicide mm-hmm. in the last week as well, mm-hmm. who weren't celebrities. Right. So it's not, it's not in the news. No one's talking about it. Right. But like he's having just the, the circumstances around it and what people go through. It's so hard and people say it's selfish, but when you're in that moment, when you are feeling so low and so bad about yourself that you think everyone would be better off if you were gone. 
So, Becky, if for just a moment you would, you know, we've got Lindsay here. So, Lindsay, you know, she's she's telling us that things uh, have been difficult for her and her family. And Mm -hmm. as a suicide prevention advocate, you know, this is perhaps an opportunity for you to to share some advice to Becky. Are you comfortable maybe giving her a resource? Yeah. Um, Yeah, I would definitely say that getting involved with the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention um, might be helpful because it it, it was helpful for me. It's not, you know, the same path for everyone in grieving, but, um, you know, becoming involved with one of the walks maybe is something that you can really do to remember the people that you've lost and to connect with people who have been in a similar situation, um, who have maybe come through the other side and have have a little more experience with it. And so they can kind of be there as an additional support to, to kind of help you guide through these waters that nobody really wants to go through. Right. Yeah. Nobody wants to, no one wants to say my friend died because they killed themselves. Right. Like, no one wants to say that, you know, right. Yeah. No, that's great. I'm going to look that up. And Becky too, just make sure you head to our website as well, either AFSP.org or my talk com, Cause there's going to be a ton of resources there. Uh-huh. We just want to make sure, you know, that you have the access to whatever, you know, whatever you need right now. Right. Becky, thank you for your call. And, um, Uh, And thank you for taking the time to both listen and and engage in this conversation. And I think one of the things that I've heard um, through the callers and also have seen come in through the email, um, there's just there's a lot of pain in this world. And Becky said it. It's hard. This is life is hard. This is a hard life. Um, And and the more we can talk about it, the more we can um, put things out and engage with each other and share that struggle. the better, truly, the more we name it, the better it is. Um, and as as you said, Bradley, there are tons and tons and tons of resources that will be available via our website, but also uh, through the AFSP website. And also, I want to just throw out again that national number again: the American Found or the National Suicide Prevention Line one eight hundred two seven three. 8255. Again, that's 1 800 273 8255. It can be very hard when you are in the depths of depression to figure out how to help yourself. And uh, that's why these types of resources exist. Just a phone call or just a visit to the website, and there will be a, a wealth of knowledge there to help you get the help that you desperately need. Uh, 651-641-1071. We will continue with your calls during this My Talk Roundtable uh, on the suicide epidemic on My Talk 1071. Thank you for joining us for this My Talk 1071 Roundtable discussion, the suicide epidemic. Colleen Lindstrom and Bradley Trainer were guiding you through this discussion, and uh, we have a panelist, an expert, and person with personal experience. We have Lindsay Raffson Berenger with us, uh, and she is a suicide prevention advocate. She works very closely with the AFS. Uh, and you can find their website, AFSP.org. Um, we've gotten a number of phone calls, which we're going to get to in just a moment, but we've also gotten a number of emails. Uh, Bradley, do you want to share? There's one in particular we wanted to yeah, start Yeah, this with. is from Pam, and, and we've gotten a, a couple of these, and we're going to make sure to follow up on them, but I did want to just give listeners a chance to understand the, the, the types of... Uh, people that we have reaching out and specifically I'm going to address this to you, Lindsay, for advice. Um, and it, it's, it's kind of heart rending, obviously. Um, 
This is from Pam. I've been depressed for many years. Now it's to the point where I can't take care of myself, my house, my yard. I lost vision in my left eye, which made my depression worse. I tell people, but no one helps. Um, Please help. I need help. So that's very serious and clearly something um, that Pam is dealing with right now in the moment. How can we help? First of all, Pam needs to know that she is really brave for reaching out. Like she is doing the best thing she can do right now. Um, so I commend her for that. And she needs to call one of um, call the lifeline and, and let them know what you're going through. And they will get her in in connection with where she needs to be, whether it be a, um, a position in the area, a support group. Um, because if she doesn't have kind of like someone we spoke to earlier, if she doesn't have that support with her, she can find it within, um, you know, whether it's a support group or, or people around her. And that number, by the way, again, is 1-800-273-8255. I would love it if everybody would write that number down so that you have it. Yeah, put on it in your, your phone. Yeah, put it in your phone because inevitably when somebody you talk to uh, needs help, you want to be able to provide that number for them quickly. So again, the number 1-800-273-8255, and that is the National Suicide Prevention Line. You can also text TALK to 741741, because sometimes having to actually say the words is scary, maybe, but you can text it to someone. That's awesome. You were saying something in the break, too, that if it's an immediate concern, you can just pick up the phone and call 911. Yes. If someone is in an immediate crisis and you're scared for their life or you're scared for your own life in that moment, just call 911. That is the fastest way to get some help. Thank you for that. That is very helpful. And again, we will include all of these resources on the MyTalk 1071 roundtable landing page uh, at MyTalk1071.com. I also want to let people know if you missed the first hour of this program, it will be up shortly. And then this hour will be up shortly after we're done with it. Um, So you will be able to listen again to this program. Uh, Let's go to the phone, 651-641-1071. If you would like to to give us a call, if you have a question, uh, we're here for you. Let's go to Carol. Carol's on the line. Hi, Carol. What did you want to share? Hi. Can you hear me? We can hear you, yes. I'm sorry. Okay. Um, What I wanted to say that there is a, I think a population of young people, I would say 13, 14 to 21, that cannot get help. The places that you would go to want all the insurance information, and they're going to make sure they get it. And then secondly, somebody says, as a family member, you're afraid for this person, and they say, well, we'll see him in two weeks from Thursday. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that they're not taken seriously. They're not addressed. I don't know. They can go to Hazleton. But if he, my grandson was there, he went to Hazleton. But he didn't have a drug abuse problem or alcohol. So they didn't know what to do with him. And they just kind of had him shuffle around for, you know, a week or two. And he was done. It was stupid. Okay. Well, uh, Carol, thank you so much for your call. I, what I understand and what I heard in there was uh, 
that a lot of times there will be uh, like a, you know, we'll see you again in two weeks. And that period of time can feel very, very scary for specifically the loved ones. And also, of course, for the person who is suffering from depression. In the meantime, when you find yourself in, in that waiting period in between, maybe it's a psychologist appointment or a therapy appointment, um, you know, what resources are available to a person who's and to their family members who are struggling with a loved one's depression or anxiety? That's actually a really tough area because that is a hole in our mental health system that, um, like the caller said, they, your regular psychiatrist or psychologist might tell you, we, you know, we can get you on the books in a few weeks. Or the emergency room might say, we can only take you if you're in danger right this minute. So that's something, unfortunately, we have to lobby for as a society and, um, you know, write to our representatives and, and work with the mental health system to to create, you know, a, an option for people in that mm-hmm. situation. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some resources out there. They can call the, the number and, mm-hmm. and get some help that way. Um, but also there is the Minneapolis Counseling Walk-In Center. Um, that's on Chicago Avenue in, in Minneapolis. That's that's an option out there. Yeah, and we will get. I, I've taken like copious notes because Lindsay is like a wealth of information, and she keeps on showing me more things. So I'm keeping notes on these things so that we can include them on our website. So as you're listening, if you're thinking, "Oh, geez, I missed that thing," don't worry. In a couple hours, it'll all be available to you on our website at mytalk1071.com. Um, we have a, an email from someone uh, named Jesse, and um, perhaps we can talk a little bit about this. So it's it's a, a statement, but also I just think um, helps us understand how helpful this is. And Lindsay, you are being for people. So Jesse said, thank you for having this discussion on suicide and depression. I'm at home right now preparing my 19 year preparing for my 19 year old who's coming home today from Winona where she he was attending school. He's been suffering from depression and anxiety and has been having suicidal thoughts. This has been so helpful. I'll make sure my family hears the podcast. So, I mean, it's just good to know that, you know, the information people are listening to is actually, you know, helpful for them in the moment and information that they need. And again, just to reiterate the whole podcast will be available shortly already Mm -hmm. the hour, the first hour is available. So that is so good. And so reassuring almost for me to hear, I guess, because my brother was in the same position away at college and my parents had to go and and bring him home because of his depression being Mm -hmm. so debilitating. So it's good to hear that another young man's parents are looking out for him and that we might actually be able to help him. I do just want to say, you know, I'm glad that you brought up that idea of depression being debilitating because I do think that there is a misconception sometimes. It is part of that stigma that goes along with mental illness, that depression is just sadness or laziness or laziness. Mm -hmm. It's not. It is a clinical. um, It is a real illness. It is just as real as any sort of physical illness that you might have. Uh, and, And it deserves to be addressed as such. Well, and it also is, um, it's just something that is, there is no, there doesn't have to be a reason or a story behind it, or somebody did something to you or, you know, I mean, it literally is like cancer or like any other, um, illness that, Mm -hmm. you know, you didn't choose, it just, you know, manifests itself 
inside of you. It is no more a weakness than cancer would be. You know, yeah. you wouldn't look at somebody who has cancer and say, well, you know, that's just a weakness. Mm-hmm. And so we, so mental health deserves to have these conversations in a way that, that talks really about the fact that it is, it is pathology. It is a real mm-hmm. illness. Let's go to Desiree. Uh, thank you for your call, Desiree. Uh, what did you want to add to the conversation? I wanted to add that, you know, you need to kind of take everyone's statements for real, even, you know, in situations. I was on Facebook, and I have, I'm a member of a group, you know, where you can ask for free second readings. And this one lady had asked for one, and this other lady had commented under it, I need a reading too, I'm about to blow my head off, and then also gave the emoji of the water gun. And and I had gone through, you know, the feed or whatever and saw that, and what was really concerning was, like, four other people commenting on there yelling at her that she didn't follow the rules, that she can't ask for a reading, you know, in another poster's post. So I went and started PMing her and talking to her and found out that, you know, really, she really wanted to, and she was a mother of five kids, and she lives in Jamaica. And I spent the rest of that day, you know, going on the Internet trying to figure out what laws Jamaica has for mental health, you know, where local hospitals were with her. And I even called them and got her the help that she needed. And this was about two months ago. And I have talked to her probably a dozen times since then. And she's thanked me. She's told me, you know, that she's gotten the help that she needs. And, you know, I keep saying, you know, you don't need to thank me. My thanks was the fact that your five kids still have their mom Mm. and everything and that you're still here. And, you know, it was just really concerning to see everyone else just start yelling at her about not following the rules and not concerned about what she had actually stated. Thank you for your call, Desiree. And I think that Desiree brings up a really good point, which is sometimes social media can feel flippant and not personal. But it is important to hear the words that people say and um, take them very seriously. Um, and and check in on each other, even though it is social media and we sort of made that more of an impersonal interaction. Well, a lot of social media platforms, and I know Facebook does, um, there is a way to contact Facebook and let them know that you've seen something alarming and then they will contact the person who posted, you know, whatever their, their concern is and say, it looks like you might be experiencing suicidal thoughts. Here are the resources in your area. Oh, that's, oh, that's wonderful. Awesome. That yeah, is, that's, that's wonderful. Um, we've got one more question on the line and let's just go to it and then we're going to, uh, and then we'll, and then we'll take a little break and kind of gather ourselves. But Jill, Jill, what did you want to add to the conversation? Hi guys. Well, I wanted to add that I'm here today because I did get treatment, but I wanted to kind of bring awareness to back to kind of that physical comparison. If somebody had cancer You know, there's lots of fundraising for the lost wages. There's people bringing casseroles to the family. And when I went away for 30 days to the residential place that I went to, my family didn't get any support. I had the loss of wages. I had the expense of, you know, obviously the treatment that I was receiving. And I actually had to cut my stay short so I could go back to work so I could, you know, so we can keep the lights on at home. So I think that there's a piece of this, too, for the person struggling that it can be very daunting to think about another burden, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think that there needs to be, and I don't know what that looks like, but some sort of either help or compassion or awareness that this is as real as cancer and that the families are kind of just left hanging out and, and hoping and praying that things work. 
Absolutely. Jill, thank you so much um, for your call. And I think that is a, a conversation that definitely deserves to be had and is part of why we are talking so openly about this, that mental illness and your mental health is just as important as your physical health and all of the things uh, that are afforded to uh, or, or sort of gifted to families who are struggling with somebody's physical illness. Those things, those those deficits in their life still exist when somebody is struggling with a mental illness and they deserve to be um, they deserve to be supported. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, Lindsay, we we are so thankful that you've been here, and and we're going to kind of make sure that we say all the things that we <laughs> did forget to say. <laughs> we're going to make sure we get to every single thing that needs to be said before we go. Uh, and thank you all for listening to this My Talk Roundtable discussion on the suicide epidemic. We'll be back after this. Welcome back to the My Talk Roundtable about the suicide epidemic. I'm Colleen Lindstrom, Bradley Trainer. We are guiding you through this discussion, and uh, we are so thankful for our panelist, Lindsay Rafson Beringer, who has been with us for the whole two hours. Done great. And uh, as we approach the end of this this discussion, first of all, I want to make everybody aware of the fact that our uh, we do have the first hour of this up available on demand on the My Talk 1071 website. Shortly after we finish this hour, this that second hour will also be made available. So you can listen to it on demand if you've missed any part of it, if there's something you'd like to go back and hear. It'll be replayed tonight. Yes, exactly. So there will be opportunities to get the information that has been shared here. But, Lindsay, while we have you, and I should say, Lindsay, in addition to having a personal connection to suicide, she also is a suicide prevention advocate with AFSP. Um, you, I think that you made a great point, which is let's try to end in a hopeful, positive direction with this question. How can we help? What can we do? So the first thing that absolutely everyone can do is to talk about mental health and talk about suicide without it being shameful. You know, we've we've talked about that. It, it's, yep. it's it's not a character flaw. Right. There's nothing shameful about it. Um, and then the other thing that they can do if they really want to get involved and do something is um, our biggest event of the year is the Out of the Darkness Walk in September. It's uh, September 16th at Como Park in St. Paul. And it's a way for us all to come together and support each other and um, raise awareness and also fundraise um, because suicide's the 10th leading cause of death in America, but it is far underfunded behind so many other diseases. Um, and that re- that that funding is so important to help with research that's going to help find cures. I just heard them talking about, you know, a medication that's in development that could be given to someone in the emergency room that might help alleviate their their suicidal symptoms. It won't eliminate their depression, but it can get them through that dark moment. Um, the, the funding goes towards um, education. There's programs that AFSP produces that can go in high schools and in workplaces um, that can help teach kids about depression and help um, for workplaces. There's a screening program that people can do. Um, and then for for awareness, you know, we need we need to put out advertisements or commercials or things to tell people over and over again that it's OK. It gets better. There is hope. Um, and, so and there's help. There's help. There's hope. It will be better t- 
tomorrow, and if not tomorrow, the day after that. So give me a little sense of the what would be available to me if I have a loved one who's struggling with um, thoughts of suicide, or if I am somebody who's struggling, some of the the programs that when I do go to AFSP.org to find out more, um, how what programming might there be that I could connect to? You would be connected to support groups in the area. You would get the phone numbers to connect to. Like the, if you were to call the lifeline, they would hook you up with a, a clinician, a doctor, a mental health fa- uh, facility in the area that can help you get through that. Awesome. So um, just as we wrap things up, we've literally covered a lot over the last two hours. Mm -hmm. And, you know, from the statistics that we shared about um, how there's a 25 percent increase nationwide in suicide since 1999 and a 40 percent increase right here in Minnesota to the personal stories. You know, you have a personal connection. That's what helped um, get you involved Um, beyond just going to AFSP.org. Um, what else do we need to know before we leave about how we can get help or more information? So like, for example, I'm thinking about there was a wonderful text option for people who might want to reach out and get specific information um, Yes, and not to just drop that on you at a moment's notice. But I know there was a number where you could literally just text the word. Yes, you can text the word talk to 741741. And that is a 24 hour. I mean, you know, when you think about how we are attached to our phones at all times, um, that is available to you in your hand at any given moment. So shared uh, the National Suicide Prevention Hotline. That number uh, is 1-800-273-8255. 1-800-273-8255. Put it in your phones. We are going to make all those resources available to you. And Lindsay... We really can't thank you enough. Thank you so much. Thank you guys for talking about this and for helping end the stigma and help everyone. We will pledge to continue to do so. So thank, thank you, you so much. And thank you all for listening and uh, and supporting this conversation on the suicide epidemic. It is, again, a conversation we will continue to have. If you missed any part of this, it, is, it will be available on the podcast, on demand. And when we come back on My Talk 1071. We will continue business as usual Mm -hmm. with the Colleen and Bradley show. Got it.